Melodrama, a play with music. It creeps in undune lights beneath the sea. It is coming to take over the city. It invades beneath every consciousness. It is as delicate as the universe. It makes me vomit. Derided and adored, melodrama is as essential to mainstream storytelling as the human breath. In 1962, Frank O'Connor wrote The Lonely Voice, a study of the short story. The introduction is by Russell Banks, a famed Adirondack, the lonely voice of man, the sound of iron on stone, screaming into the abyss. And all the book chronicles the lonely lives of lonely people, almost all of the people being men. The Chronicles of Loneliness. Yes, the chronic! What kills the- Loneliness. These men are made into metaphors. Metaphors in the art of serious melodrama. Chekhov is a lonely voice. James Joyce is a lonely voice. Ernest Hemingway is a lonely voice. What is the voice of loneliness? There I was again tonight, forcing laughter, faking smiles, same old tired, lonely place. Forcing laughter. Taylor Swift forces laughter. Is forced laughter the sound of loneliness? Is forced laughter the sound of a lonely voice? (laughs) The subject of today's podcast is gay voice. I'm trying to draw a connection between the sounds of loneliness and laughter. I'm trying to draw a connection between these sounds and the gay voice. In general, the voice conveys intention. It makes meaning out of words. The voice comes first. If a lonely voice speaks in the woods, only the trees hear it. Sometimes, though, the words come first. The words allow us to really hear the voice. I am gay. That's my new song. That's my new motto. I didn't realize Lil B had a gay voice until I heard him say, I'm gay. His voice then takes on the quality of gayness. Some of it is in reception. My ear is a vessel for gayness. But sometimes the words don't mean anything to me. Sometimes a gay voice speaks in a language I can't understand. These are all the gay voices of gay men. Gay characters, I mean. How does the gay male voice change when it is performed? What about when it is pretended? How is it different from your friend's voice? From your own voice? But the gay voice isn't just something gay men have or gay-sounding men, a woman can have a gay voice, too. When I say gay voice, I should say gay voices. There's a fine line, however, between gay voice and voice in charge. And they've had a rocky but, I would argue, successful transition. Now, they still have to make it sustainable. Some more gay voices. I can't believe I didn't see this coming. How did I not see this? You know what? I did see this coming years ago. Rule number one, don't ever fall in love with a straight girl. I went downstairs, outside. I crept up into the barn. I was so scared to look inside, but I had to. What did you see, Clarice? What did you see? Lambs. They were screaming. Hey, how you doing? I'm Enid Wexler. Got a PhD from Berkeley in Women's Studies, emphasis in the history of combat. And uh, last year, I single-handedly organized the march for Lesbians Against Drunk Driving. Gay voices populate the history of melodrama. They are the voices of and for melodrama. There are as many gay voices as there are stories to be told. But sometimes the gay voice is silence, the makeup of silence. What is silence made of? Silencio. 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 No hay banda. <laughs> 
On today's episode of Noisy Ghost, we are going to discuss the role of the gay voice in the show Faking It. Faking It is a new comedy series on MTV. The show is about two high school girls who pretend to be gay in order to be popular. I'm here with my regular co-hosts, Andre Kello and Eric Wenzel, and two new special ghosts. One is Sam Cruz, a friend of mine from high school. <laughs> Please say hi. Hello. Hi. And I'm also here with Rachel McCartney, another friend of mine from high school, who oh. is also a stand-up comedian. Hello. Hi, guys. Hello. So, faking it. How or not does the role of gay voice uh, play out in this show, if at all? Just in the men. Just in the men, right? Definitely. Like, why, though? Like, what is happening there? It's just, like... Well, I I feel like only the men are assertive in their gayness, certainly. The 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 woman in the show who is like, I guess, a lesbian or confused, she's she's definitely in the weaker, the weaker role. Yeah, they only show her gayness visually, right? Yeah. Like she's always wearing like flannel. And... She's got a softball bat. <laughs> she does. <laughs> yeah, in some form or another. And it's and it's about ten percent of it too, right? It's not. And it's it's still in this visual style of uh, MTV youth culture with beautiful clothes and beautiful makeup and hair. It's just a little bit yeah. granola. Meticulously disheveled, sort of. Well, but that's kind of the question I had, is that is this the saved by the bell of our generation? Is this like, you know, the ideal for teens? Is this like what we want to look like? Not we. Good Lord, not we. <laughs> yeah, I think we should refer to them as kids, kids right? Kids, the youth. Right, right. We can refer to them as, my... as you people. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's one of my, my questions is also, like, what are you, age are they? They're in high school. Yeah, but they're in, like, a utopian high school where the premise is that, like... Where you're 26 Texas and living in sex in the city. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and all the, uh, like, smart kids and gay kids are popular and all the beautiful people are not popular which was also the premise of 21 jump street the remake movie was that they were prepared to be these teenagers in the style that they imagined from the 80s but then they show up and everybody's like hey you can't do that 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 offends my understanding of gender identity (laughs) well i have to say i still found uh because i watched the pilot yeah we we did unfortunately (laughs) um but because it it Yes, a lot. Uh, it is one of those where you start. Um, but just in terms of like cool and not cool, I was like, oh shit, I still identified myself, which was the like chubby guy at the party that like hands the two beers to Karma. Ugh. Oh uh, my God, Karma. And then she immediately, <laughs> and they're like, he's dressed normally, like an actual, like, because he's like an a actual, human. He's dressed person. like a human. Yeah. And like, the rest of them are dressed makeup yeah. on. He just has a short sleeve polo shirt, like I still wear today. He's nervous and chubby and confused, and he hands beers to a hot girl who actually we're supposed to identify with as like the awkward nerd. And then she spills beers all over her tits and then throws up and then <laughs> yeah. everything gets better. Right, right. So I don't know. I was still like, oh, damn it. I'm, there's That's me. I'm that loser in the background. Right. So the show pretends to be uh, a narrative of inclusiveness and how there can be like a drama of, oh, we aren't doing it right. Let's fix that. We were constantly trying to be more uh, understanding of other people's realities. But really, no, none of that's actually right. happening. Well, like, what is there's it? no fat people and there's no, there's a lot of missing yeah. well, demographics it's, like, it's what supposed if, to be everybody. What if we had a utopian high school except that every single person is a narcissist? And this <laughs> utopia is Texas. Yeah, this oh, utopia Austin, is Texas. in Texas, mm-hmm. which I found very perplexing because only that Faith Ford actress really had. Uh, she's my favorite. She, oh my she's god, the mom, the, the mom stepmom. of the yeah. This was she a stepmom? Amy's mother. Okay, yeah, she's not her mother. So though. I think no, I no, dude. Rachel, in did the you first know? episode. They're both blonde. They must be biological. They must be biological. <laughs> They're giving us visual cues. She's not the mother of the other girl. The other girl is... The... She's not Amy's no, mother. Okay, She's so... the 
Dude, I watched the pilot last night. So they immediately set it up that there's the like hip cool blonde who is Amy, and then there's the like the Sarah Chalk. Evil, yeah. The, the, who looks the exactly form. like Jean Benet Ramsey. <laughs> I had the same thought. I, I had the same out. thought about Jean Benet Ramsey. This is what would have happened to Jean Benet Ramsey. Had she yeah, lived. she would have been on MTV. <laughs> yeah, well, she was. Well, no, she wasn't spirit. Her whole life was torture. Anyway, um, so I watched the first episode of the first season, the first episode of the second season. It's actually amazing how dramatically even that changes within the. Mm-hmm. Is it a shiny? Like, is the first episode as, like... It's more, like, it's very... Because when that, the the evil stepsister, quite yes. literally the evil stepsister is introduced, the way her and her, like, sidekicks are dressed, it's, like, very, very bizarre. Like, she really is wearing, like, a miniature, like, adult suit, you know? But, but vocally, like, what do you... I don't know, Rachel. Rachel, what do you think about the way that, like, uh, the dynamic between Lauren the like evil nemesis who's a Republican. That's like her sign of her evilness. <laughs> <laughs> well, can it, can, cause I just wanted to establish. No. So she is the daughter of the really Texas mother and Amy's dad. Has, they've just, I don't think there. that's right because there's a joke where they, she says, if only my father hadn't fallen in love with the weather girl. <laughs> and then She's the weather girl. The mother is the weather girl. And the mother is the mother of Amy, the lesbian. And that's why the that's, the, uh, that's why Lauren is like, oh, I, I wish my dad hadn't fallen in love with that weather girl. And then Amy says, my mother is a meteorologist. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So confused. Oh. It would make more sense. No if one the really is spared. Texas Guys, woman. this is like Mad Men. We <laughs> yeah. are layers. There's, it's like an onion. <laughs> that completely changes everything I have to say about this show. Now. I was completely wrong about the dynamic. Okay. Anyway, well, so the, sorry. The, the plot is convoluted and also irrelevant and dumb, and we should forget it. <laughs> but we should keep talking about Lauren. <laughs> okay. I, bye. I, like Lauren, <laughs> Sam. Lauren was my favorite. Yeah. Of like her, her evilness was just. She was also the only one who had any life in her eyes. Yeah. When she was, as Andre pointed out, when we were watching it. The performances were sort right. of uneven, except for oh, yeah. the evil like caricatures, because everyone is. Well, everyone's a performing a voice, right? Yes, everyone's playing a caricature of a high school student, but they're still bad at it, except for Lauren. I don't know what you guys were talking about. I mean, the two of us went to high school together. That This was our experience. <laughs> I thought this very autobiographical. It's very real. Yes. Sam a... and Rachel and Eleanor all went to New Trier High School. Oh, Jesus. Is that yeah. correct? Did go to that speaking speaking yeah. of utopia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is the high school that served in certain ways as the model for the high school in the films of... John Hughes. John Hughes. And also the faculty. And mean Where girls. All lizards. Yeah. <laughs> is that what the, oh girls? shit now I can't mean see the, yeah. now I don't have to see the faculty this is <laughs> apart from Beverly Hills High School where they shot uh, you know It's a Wonderful Life and Clueless and all these kinds of films this is the platonic ideal high school that mm-hmm. you two, you three went to yeah what do you think Rachel how do you think Nutria fares in this I feel like people were too focused academically and on you know, the mm. actual things they were doing to have some sort of John Hughes popularity contest yeah. Like, people were definitely rich and thin and all of that, but it was not, like, a John Hughes movie. Yeah, but in, like, terms of faking it, like, I feel like everyone on this show is never doing their homework. They're always just like, oh, oh no. yeah. yeah. And then in, in Nutria, <laughs> I feel like everyone was like, yes, I'm very wealthy, but I still need to, like, get into Stanford because my dad went to Harvard and I don't have that legacy. Like, well, I and I didn't know a single person as beautiful or as put together as mm-hmm. the worst looking person on this show. Like I, it was everybody was just so clean, and I mean I don't mean to say that like I would rather have been these people, (laughs) but just like but just like you know we all had a pimple or two. Oh, that's true. (laughs) Well, this is one of the paradoxes about child actors is that you bring in these child actors to be the uh, incredibly beautiful, wealthy young people, but inevitably they're the they're child actors. I mean they're the children of people of stage mothers. Mm-hmm. I mean, these people lived in in their cars, going from audition to audition, having horrible lives. The only thing I could think of throughout this entire show was, has anybody seen The Hollywood Complex? No. So it is a documentary about this one apartment complex where, like, Hilary Duff and Zac Efron, they all lived, and it's very um, uh-huh. migrant, and it's, you know, they just... Uh, child actor agents all go there and there's like these little conventions to like get these kids started in Hollywood and um, 
and it's just horrifying because you know isn't well, that the how, how old are these actors because i'm like they seem like they're all like maybe 22 or 23 Oh, really? I thought they might have been 18 oh, really? legitimately. Oh, okay. They were really no? bad at acting. So oh, they I were terrible. Good Lord. Yeah. Everyone, had, all the dudes had like pillow lips. You know what I mean? Oh, everyone does. Yeah. They all look like it's two pieces of sushi placed <laughs> on their face. <laughs> <laughs> and they act like they're like tremulous voices come oh, about due to their like pillows shaking yeah. as they <laughs> I think they cultivate anaphylactic shock to create that look <laughs> in the face. Oh, yeah. God. They all give them insulin even though they're not diabetic before the camera rolls. <laughs> <laughs> the stakes are so high in the stupidest things and so low in the things that I think actually mattered. Mm-hmm. It was really fascinating how, like, I don't know if we want to give away the end of the episode. Please, oh, spoilers. Oh, yeah. All spoilers. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because, like, you know, when we're talking about... If we can I'm... stop people from watching this show, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> when when, when um, karma is talking about what a terrible friend she is. I mean, like, if they could fake cry, they would have cried. But then, at the end, spoiler alert, we find out that the Republican sister-in-law, I guess, is the stepsister, is when she's intersexed. Because she's been popping all these pills, and everyone's like, oh my god, what is she taking those pills for? She's like, I'm intersex. My pills are hormone replacement. They basically use it as a comedy moment. It's a, it's, a, it's a really fucked up reveal, right? Yeah. Like it's like a the crying game, like any sort of. But there's that like awkward pause where everybody's like, ooh. Yeah. Wait, Rachel, what were you going to say? I don't think it was quite played as a comedy moment. It obviously was not given the dramatic impact it should have, but I don't think it was like, oh, she's intersex. That's hilarious. It was just right. it was well, just supposed to be shocking, like in a sixth sense sort of way, maybe, or like some sort of like twist. Well, that's really mm-hmm. where the episode needed to up. stop. And yeah. so. And did. And spoiler, <laughs> and, uh, spoiler alert, MTV and Amazon, we didn't uh, necessarily pay as much money as we should have. To, <laughs> to see. So, we, so the the streaming thing we watched, it like cut at literally the most dramatic part, which is she like, they're like, yeah, out of nowhere in this, you know, uh, uh, Pulp Fiction style like gimp scene. Where they've got the the boyfriend dressed up like Master Blaster from Beyond oh, yeah, Thunderdome. And it's a, oh yeah, after after the rape this, scene, yeah, 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 that's what happens there. Like that's there's really this fucked crazy. Up. There's this crazy. Everyone keeps getting pulled into this like horrific kidnapping where they're gonna blackmail someone by doing things with copious amounts of one of the characters' mother's dildos that she sells. Yeah, they like oh, she God. has the Avon lady of dildos. Yeah. So and then suddenly this character. It get this reveal happens and then it cuts presumably to commercial or something. But in what we watched, we're like, oh, that's the end of the episode. And then I was like, whoa, wait, that would have been is good. Maybe I'm getting sucked in. That would have been fantastic. I loved that. And then there's about like 15 more minutes of just garbage. <laughs> <laughs> should we should we like are we scene by scening this? We can if we, are we? Yeah. <laughs> do whatever you want. Sam. I feel like this is a this is an important. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Piece of. Americana. Americana. Yes, that is the word for what this show is, Americana. I absolutely agree. Well, it's so. in Texas, so maybe it's Texarkana. Oh. <laughs> Tex-Mex. So well, that's, yeah, yeah, that's it. There's like, I mean, maybe there's there are high schools like this in Austin. I mean, I've never been, but I have some friends that are there and live there, and, and I don't get the, uh, the feeling that it's this liberal, because, I mean, yeah. Like, look at Chicago is probably the most liberal city in the Midwest, and there's still tons of not liberal things about it, I guess. So, like, I'm like, there, but everything is like super high contrast. Everything's th- thrown into high contrast. Yeah. So, it's like, it's sort of like a defense against critiquing how unreal it is because you're like, well, of course, this is completely it, unreal. It happens in this like limp. They use Austin, Texas as like this liminal space where everything can happen, except they mm-hmm. like, it's all first thought. Like there's no, it's like people making a show about Austin when they've never actually been to Austin. Yeah. Which but there's is, no, there's no fat people. There's no poor people. Yeah. There's like, I'm pretty sure there are all those people any in Austin, Latinos Texas. or anything. And this is in Texas mm-hmm. and there's no black characters until we see a preview that maybe one might oh, show up later. Sure. Yeah. What, what if that's a reveal? Like, one like the intersex a... one, it's like, and he's black. Uh, <laughs> one might get a kiss. An African-American might get kissed yeah, in the, the my upcoming episode of Faking It. Right. Yeah, so that's that's it's really bizarre that... 
It comes off sort of like the kind of stuff that Lenny Riefenstahl would be making right now (laughs) if she were attempting to, like, okay, maybe uh, dial the Nazism back a little bit. Oh, I thought you were (laughs) saying this is like Obama is Hitler, and so his... His national <laughs> no. socialist utopia is Austin. This Texas. is Obama's America. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that, that was the thing, because as, as I was watching, I was like, this actually might be like a really cruel Republican satire. Like, it, I feel it like is Obama's America, though, because the intersex person does have the possibility of getting their medication. Yeah, yeah. that's true. You know, they don't have to worry about whether they're going to have to, you know, like get something signed by a mm-hmm. psychotherapist in order to get their well, the, their hormones. But the character is wealthy, anyway. Yeah, everyone's rich in this country or, or this high school, whatever. No, but well, I thought the the biggest thing the. Uh, so if we're going scene by scene, right? Like Amy, who might be gay or is struggling, she's confused. With, as she, as she, she so says, eloquently yeah, puts she's, it, she's, she's which is just a way for them to turn her sexuality into suspense and plot, exactly. right. Instead of you know, like an aspect of her life. Well, she's, I don't know about your life, but my sexuality is like the only suspense and plot. But that's not really, that's totally not true for Karma, whose defining characteristic is that she loves to talk about herself, which is so weird because so does everybody else on that show. Also, everyone else in the world. <laughs> Teenagers. Yeah, well, right? And, and that's, 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 so we open with Karma breaking into Amy's bedroom and saying, you know, I'm sorry that I'm such a bad friend and quote, we're going to spend the rest of our life together, which was very confusing for me because it's like, so is she just going to like, fake it forever uh. is this the long-term plan i think they don't have long-term plans is because they're but high school they students. do because no, but she's talking about yeah what she was talking about she was talking about friendship oh and this is what was okay. so torturous to okay. amy because amy was like oh, oh i well, don't want to be your friend well, that's beautiful. i don't want to be friends see that, that <laughs> there's there's things that are real that it touches on because there are so many whatever your orientation where you have two people that are friends and then one develops feelings and the other doesn't. And there are things that seem like they could be real. They're not treated very well at all, but like, I don't know. There's, there are experiences that seem, but because this is so artificial, what we see is a story where she's like, Oh, I'm in love with my best friend. And that means I'm gay. And it, also, for some reason, means that I'm only interested in this person and have no actual sexuality right. or interest in women in general. Her sexuality is karma. Like, that is, yeah. like... The, wow, that's but, deep. Yeah. That, that's, that's believable deep. for high school. Yeah. I mean, that was certainly true. She just, like, she's the she's the one she believes that this is the person she's going to be with. The Jake Ryan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, Jake Ryan happened out... He was a... He was a sexuality all himself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is this somebody you guys went to school with? Oh, no, no, no. From 16 Candles. Oh, right. Yeah. He's just... I haven't seen all of the <laughs> He was on campus, but yeah. before you guys were yeah. on <laughs> Yeah, like, I guess, what are the shows or movies other than John Hughes, I guess, that this show is participating in as a tradition? Like, is there... What like what other shows is faking it trying to be? Well, it was that Eric would mentioned earlier this thing of uh, the MTV late night uh, soap opera Undressed. Oh yeah, where oh, yeah. It's, what their spider webs? That was oh good. god, I what they're marketing show. and skins as well is uh-huh. just spider games. Uh, pederasty. They're yeah. just like, aren't sixteen year olds hot? Don't, <laughs> don't you want to? Fuck sixteen year olds. <laughs> well, yeah. Who they listen to such sh- great music. Who was this show for? Are there kids yeah. in like high pretty... school, like liberal, hip kids? It's 45-year-olds who work on Broadway at 770 Broadway, where the MTV offices are in New York City. Just jerking it. <laughs> <laughs> Creating a show for children about how sexy children are. Yes, this is well, exactly think, what's I happening. Think, but some of it's fantasy, too. Cause I, yeah, because I was trying to figure some out... Some of it is fantasy, yes, Eric. <laughs> some of this show is fantasy. I, fu- I found the the fact that, that a teenager could get a morning-after pill in the... In the uh, in the state of Texas. In yes. the state, I thought that oh, was, was incredibly super, realistic. Super that the, easy. <laughs> that the that the pharmacist would would also explain to her how it works and like and she just, didn't have to ask her, she didn't have she, to ask her parents for money or anything. Yeah, and she had this like Midwestern. She was like, okay, and then you take the like it was just this like, oh, I'm your mom, and you know, like it, she had this very homey thing, and they're like, in Obama's America, 
Little old ladies will explain to teenagers how to have the abortion pill. Well, there was something, a very special episode about that. Oh, yeah. Too, where it's like, they're, it's not for her, it's for the viewers. Like, they know Ooh. that the, the, the show is for kids, so they're like, they want, they're like, hey, teenagers out there, we just so you know, you about... this is how this works in case you're ever in the, in the same that problem. That did not that... come across. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, that was the most unrealistic to me. I was like, yeah. I don't care how liberal Austin is. In Texas, there's no way a teenager's just going to, like, come in and, like, pick up a morning after pill and then, like, get really friendly, nurturing advice from the pharmacist. Yeah. And it wasn't even – and it was, like, at, a, like, a local pharmacy, too. It's, oh, you know, it was beautiful. Yeah, it was, that like, was a really That was a beautiful clean, pharmacy. That was, like, <laughs> it was, like, a family-owned <laughs> yeah. pharmacy. And that's, like, the exact kind of pharmacy that's, like, suing Obamacare saying that, <laughs> well, we have our little pharmacy and our family values and we shouldn't be forced to dispense medications we don't believe in. I kept on thinking about Cabot Cove uh, from, uh, what do you call it, Murder, She Wrote. Oh, yeah. Where it's just yeah. like this and little also, idyllic. Dawson's Creek. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right? Uh, it, it, all this uh, beautiful, very... natural, like, soft light coming in through all the corners and every people, like, crawling into the windows of people's bedrooms yeah. and, like, and teenagers having tons of free time and autonomy and lots of intelligent things to say while also being lots complete in- morons. Yeah, lots of intelligent things yeah. to say. Well, yeah, the when jokes I, don't I, make sense on this show. There are some good ones, though. What, what was a what? good joke? <laughs> or, I, I, or maybe... I don't oh, the know, part about what, you're waterboarding my heart oh. was <laughs> exceptional. That well, was an exceptional the first, moment. And in the first episode where they're talking over whether or not they're like, you know, blindsided by the fact that somebody... Or is it the gay character that thinks they're gay? And he's and that's the way they keep repeating yes, the, the gay character. Oh, I always wanted lesbian yeah. friends. Oh. Um, so they're sort of sitting around like, well, are we? What are we doing? What is? It, should this be one of our kooky schemes? Like, <laughs> and then the one girl who then turns out to be going through the. I think she's the main character. We're supposed to be following her sexual odyssey, like Rochelle. <laughs> Rochelle. <laughs> And then she's like, I can't be a lesbian. I don't even like looking at my own vagina. And I thought that was kind of a nice quip. That was the I've one heard joke. that so many times. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Well, so that's not a very good quip, okay. though, I guess. It was new to me. <laughs> well, that's the thing. They're they're selling this shit to 14-year-olds. So these people, you know, the, the audience that they're, <laughs> that they're talking about, yeah, these yeah. people, these fucking children, they haven't seen anything. They haven't right. heard all the jokes that you and I have heard our entire lives. So you can just recycle all the old crap. It's the yeah. Disney model, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I we they are seeing this shit for the very first time. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, it's like well, and you... I don't usually watch stuff like this. So for me, it's like an awakening too. But it's kind of like when you realize <laughs> when you're reading Shakespeare for <laughs> and you're and you're. I'm so excited. No, this is where I'm going. I'm so excited. This is an experience. This is an experience I have sometimes when I'm reading Shakespeare. And I'm like, oh god, like a rose is a rose is a rose. Like God, this is so cliche. And then you remember that like he invented it, you know, mm-hmm. or like, and he like created words and concepts and so stuff. And you're like, oh shit, he's like super, super smart dude. So then it's kind of like with this where it's like, like you were saying, like it's new to Eric or like new to people yeah. who aren't, but it's, it's new to a 33 year old in the nation of 14 year olds. Yeah. It's just hard to, you know, remember the origin. But we were talking about audience and who we think it's for. And I think, because I was trying to figure out, like, I was worried about, you know, is this warping people or something? Um, the answer is yes. And then you realize oh, it is so it's so hyperbolic <laughs> and phony. And I think it is. It's like, what what is that phrase about? Like when you it's it's something that you watch to like enact a fantasy or fantasy realization or what? It, there's uh, like a great phrase. Wish fulfillment. Wish fulfillment. <laughs> there we go. So because there's all these kids that are watching that, and their high school life is full of homework, and it's you never get past the like awkward person you like in the hall and you never even meet them or anything. And so Sam is nodding a lot. Speaking the truth. <laughs> yeah. So, so cause when I watch stuff like this, I just feel like such a loser. Cause I'm like, everybody's just fucking and getting drunk and partying. And you know, I'm like, oh, I didn't do any of that in high school. I like failed. And, but I'm like, what? no, this is like a, this is so that all like regular high school kids can go home and then be like, what if yeah. everybody was like, being crazy all the time. I don't know. The real version would be so much less entertaining because it would be uh, a gay person being celibate until their sophomore year of yeah. college yeah. and then, <laughs> yeah, and then meeting is, somebody yes. that they feel comfortable <laughs> enough. Yeah, and it's just, yeah, where would you have this perfect storm of all these things, these crazy things going on in one place and people being tied up and... Uh, well, and having, like, S&M paraphernalia just lying about. Yeah. Lying about. And, like, you know, I, I feel like I was out in high school and, and I feel 
fairly lucky to the high school that I went to just in terms of like, you know, I told a straight classmate that I had a crush on him and did not get beaten up. Like, in the grand scheme of life, yeah. <laughs> things could have been worse oh, than yeah. Trier. Um, but like, <laughs> there were not a lot of out people at my high school in Greenville, South Carolina. You don't yeah. say. <laughs> uh. I, I would guess there's probably not a lot even in Austin. Yeah, and certainly like this was just like it was a breeze for that gay guy to wear whatever he wanted and yeah. make yeah. out with dudes on front lawns. Right. Like yeah. maybe this is science fiction. It's like, <laughs> this is the utopian future. This is like, like a slightly more realistic minority report. Is yeah. Like, imagine a world where a guy can come out in high school. What's well, an easy to minority port to write when you don't have any minorities? <laughs> hey, there was that one Hispanic guy who right. had a very special oh, moment. Checked it off the list. Yeah. Speaking of which, they pretend to be gay. Are there no gay women at this high school? Um, we hide them. Yeah, I guess not. I guess it's like this is the final frontier. Space is the final yeah. frontier. But this is something that Eleanor was bringing up, was that uh, the voice for the gay men on the show, obviously, right away, immediately, you say, ah, the gay guy. You hear him talk for a second, you're like, ah, right away. The gay best friend. But yeah. then Always. gay women are uh, depicted as being completely identical right. like, to straight women. When I played the Alex Voss clip from Orange is New Black, it's just like, Oh, yeah, she sounds exactly like Donna, Donna from that 70s show because it's, you know, played by the same actor. Uh, yet in this context, I feel like her voice takes on a gay quality, especially in contrast to Taylor Schilling's character. So, but like... And this was something they did to a lesser degree on uh, other television shows and movies, like the, the L Word, for example. You know, this thing where it's like... A, an, oh, I'm getting a, a head shake here. No, go on. <laughs> I was always of the impression that whenever uh, gay women are depicted on television or movies, it's either as a joke, in which case they are explicitly depicted as being gay, or if you're expected to treat them as a protagonist, then they are indistinguishable from straight women. Yeah. I was shaking my head in recognition. Okay. I'm like, what you were saying is true, and it is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, so like when, when uh, on this show, on Faking It, when... When Karma speaks versus when Amy speaks, they're still very similar voices, except Karma is obviously like supposed to be, I guess, more dumb, I guess. So she talks <laughs> differently. I don't know. But they're not that different of a voice type. Whereas, I don't know. And then like... I, I just keep thinking they all look like variations of Katniss Everdeen. Like, oh, what if she was blonde or what if her <laughs> hair was redder? <laughs> like they, every all the actors seem like they're picked to look like... Actors from other movies that are popular with this demographic. I think that's probably very correct and probably exactly what they had in mind when they were selecting actors, which is depressing. What an ugly world we live in. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's beautiful. Didn't you look at how yeah, these no. people are? <laughs> so well art directed. Yeah. That's exactly what my teenage bedroom looked like. You know what it it's looks just... like? It looks like a Gregoraki movie from the 90s. A lot of bright colors and really attractive young people who like to take their shirts off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and he was being, uh, you know, transgressive. And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, you know who wants to to get fucked? <laughs> <laughs> like 16-year-old kids deal with that, Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's the way that the girls dress, though, everyone that isn't Amy, I guess, is very stylized in like this Ariana Grande kind of way. Like... It's kind of like the show Pretty Little Liars where everyone is just wearing so much makeup and like really short sh skirts that you could never actually wear to a public high school without getting – or a yeah. private one or any – like it would be so bad. And yet no one – everyone just is always dressed perfectly and has the same exact makeup on. It's well, is, is Amy supposed – like that, you're saying kind of – The meticulously disheveled Yeah, one but like still I mean, well, I went to high school in the 90s, so that was like – she was almost like too well dressed for like people that liked alternative music, you know. She's like, too well dressed she's like, for I grunge. Put on my night. She's like, I put on my my least rough like crappy jeans and then the flannel I've washed. And then you're like, oh, do you have like a job interview at Walgreens today? <laughs> <laughs> this this girl is their version of the girl who grows up to be a librarian. This is their limited. Really? She's version. like the she's, she's all way that. Too hot to be a like, well, this is the thing, right? This is the thing that we've seen in the movies for, I mean, at least since The Big Sleep. She's where... Rachel Lee Cook and she's as, all Yeah, that. that's yes. what I was saying, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, God. 
I think you nailed the librarian thing. Like, if she just had glasses, that would do it. Yeah. This is the way this show is different from other shows. They don't put glasses on the librarian. (laughs) Fuck you trying to make our, making us think we should have our hot people be an uggo. (laughs) We're not going to wear glasses and be ugly. We're going to just be hot. (laughs) Oh, my God. This fucking show. All right. (laughs) What else do we want to think about? Uh, I want to talk more about lesbian voices though in this show because i really think there is like what is is there anything vocally happening amongst the lesbians versus the gay dudes or is it what andre said is it just like the sea of sameness and then the occasional like lively quip from a gay dude well one one of the clips that you played at the top was the uh the woman who has what you in the past have talked to me possibly in private as Feminist voice. Feminist voice is a very real affliction that I have had. Many of my friends have had. It's a real thing that happens. And it's related to this thing that uh, NPR was, there was an article about earlier this week about uh, women making vocal changes to their voice in order to sound more authoritative in situations in which they're interacting with men. Yeah, like you're supposed to, like up talk is frowned upon and you're... is that, what's up talk? Up talk is talking like every sentence you say is a question. Oh, that's like my professional voice. I know. It's a it's a popular thing, and I think it's because people don't want to sound um, like they know for sure what they're saying is true. So, so that want... if somebody disagrees with them, they aren't embarrassed. Exactly. Or it's also a way of just making other people feel comfortable with you because you're, you're saying something and you're open, you're open to their response. This is not something I am good at. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is something I find myself doing all the time, though. I definitely do all the things that NPR says I shouldn't do. But also, feminist voice is a result of NPR, I think. Like, Terry Gross totally has feminist voice. So what is the difference? I don't know. You gotta be Diane Rehm. Rachel, you went to a liberal arts school. (laughs) You know about (laughs) feminist voice. (laughs) Feminist voice is the province. We haven't heard from you either. I think we're talking too much. No, uh, you're all good. Um, You were talking about feminist voice. I don't have any specific insight from liberal, liberal arts school. Um, but I was thinking you were talking about Jodie Foster mm-hmm. and you were playing that clip from Silence of the Lambs. And before we started recording, you said you were considering playing a clip from Panic Room instead. Because Sam wasn't... told me that I should have done that. And I think I right. did not. Oh, okay. Well, you yeah. you said it and I was like, that would have been good. But yeah, anyway. I was thinking uh, about a third movie, actually, The Brave One. Oh, yeah. Didn't that, that movie was like the last one she starred in, right? I think she starred in more since then. But I mean... That was like it's kind of a stupid plot for a movie, but she's fantastic in it. Yeah. So she plays kind of an NPR host. She has her own radio show, and she talks a lot like Terry Gross. And yeah. I was just thinking that's kind of on the edge between you know feminist voice, where she's trying to be authoritative, and then also warm and all of that, and then mm-hmm. just gay voice. Yeah. Oh, it, man. It's like halfway between Pump Up the Volume and Dirty Harry. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. she's on her uh, radio program. problems, I dare you. I walk around the city at night in the dark, and I think about the world in which I live. And then she pulls out her gun and shoots people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like Jodie Foster as like a litmus test like in, in order to think about gay voice or feminist voice. Or what was the third one? Uh, I guess there wasn't a third one. I don't remember. Anyway. Like so, do you, accent? so do you so you think in that in that movie in Brave One she's doing a, a voice that is somewhere between gay voice and feminist voice? I said that and then I realized her character is explicitly coded as straight. Because mm. yeah, the the plot is motivated by the her boyfriend getting killed at the top of the film. Yeah. Um. But it's still Jodie Foster. Yeah, this is it's what I'm still... saying about Jodie Foster in Sounds of the Lambs, too. The thing with Jodie uh, Foster's no. voice is I don't hear it as being explicitly gay. It just, it's not straight. I feel like there are a lot of qualities in a straight woman's voice where you add, you know, a lilt or various pretty things to it. And her voice just does not have any of that. Well, she's also a gay icon, you know. And but it's, she doesn't want to be. Yeah. And it's easily just, you can hear Jodie Foster's voice and you think, ah, oh, that's Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. I love Jodie Foster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So then that necessarily that like love or nostalgia or whatever comes out in the listening to her voice. Like that's why I think the gay voice is partly in the reception and not in like any in, in intrinsic yeah, well, qualities. Because whenever I see like Silence of the Lambs, I'm just like, she's doing a bad Southern accent. And, like, yeah, she's doing a lot bad. of things really bad, like in the clip. And it's not that she's, it's like we're saying, 
Jodie Foster has a bad Southern accent. Like Clarice Starling, is she really from the South? No, that Jodie Foster is doing this. Yeah, she's like, never she's not like Jodie Foster. Lecter. And I'm like, wait, which accent are you doing? Because it because it also doesn't sound like her voice. I don't know. She was in a lot of Disney movies as a kid, so like I saw those like Freaky Friday classic candle Carney, and... where she like straight up hits on some girls in that movie. It's crazy, right? Well, yeah. the best of which is Candle Shoe because it's about uh, lost art treasure and um, other mysteries. <laughs> but anyway, I don't know. So when I – and it was – because she was like kind of out of film for a little while or something because she was like a child star and then uh, time passed and then it was Well, like she didn't Sansa act for Lance. a while after um, Hinckley killed – well, he tried to oh, right, kill the president. That was pretty traumatic for, for her, her. I think. That's right. Okay. Um well, then I feel bad for criticizing her voice in <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. But, I, I yeah, because I noticed the voice in Silence of the Lambs, but I thought it was like she was sort of like, what, what? I'm this character from the South, but then I went. I thought she was from the South, though. She's from West Virginia. Oh. Clarice Starling is. Oh, no, yeah. no, no. Sorry. I thought, I thought Jodie Foster was from Georgia. Well, if she is, no, she, was she, born she has about as much of a Southern accent as I do. <laughs> she yeah. was yeah. created in Buena Vista, yeah. Florida. Yeah, and then they just poured in a little bit of accent, but it was like, they're like they didn't remember which vial they grabbed. Well, there's this thing where you're like, you hear somebody's voice and you want to believe that you're able to understand something about who they are based on that voice, right? Like you place a lot of faith in your capacity to be able to make these kind of snap judgments immediately upon meeting somebody. And a lot of uh, sitcoms in the 90s turned this into a uh, a source of suspense. Is You know, I would just, um, in preparation for this podcast, I watched an episode of the TV show Cosby, the, the show that Bill Cosby had on, um, I guess, CBS in like the late 90s when he was coming back and he was an old guy. And uh, the episode is about how he's he joins this group for old men uh, called, uh, I guess, Out and About, I think, or <laughs> o- Older and Out. Anyway, he get, he thinks, oh, this is an activity group for old men, and it turns out it's for old gay men. Wacky. And the problem that he, he finds himself in is that he can't tell from meeting somebody that they're gay. Right? That must and, be so awkward for him. Well, it, doesn't that just mean he's, he's just meeting people, and that's like a... Like he's I, I not know, I was thinking kidding, about yeah. that. But then the 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 gay panic grips him oh. when he finally discovers this thing. And Felicia Rashad is like, "Oh, he joined this group. That means he's gay. That means he doesn't want to be with me anymore." Oh, really? Yeah. I, and then it I, all gets know. resolved at the end. He's like, "I had no idea they were gay." Spot not on. that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. I think it was the late '90s. You don't have to say that part. Oh yeah. Mm. Well, no, just because they had the whole. Seinfeld thing, and then like people started taking that as a cue in their everyday life. Yeah, they like, like thought it was because it was real. sort of yeah, it was like what well, was very instructive. So everyone saw that show, and they're like, "Well, they're dealing with this thing," and then they came up with this really way to easy way to like make it all okay. Yeah. And then you would see that happen in real life conversations, yeah. and you and it is one of those things like TV really does instruct, and people are like, well, "I don't know, I saw that thing once, and it ended up okay for Jerry." <laughs> I got to say, though, you know, this whole, like, gay panic thing that he decided to participate in, like, he was terrified of being predated sexually. Mm -hmm. I mean, a little ironic for Bill Cosby to be worried that other people are interested in him sexually in a way that he feels uncomfortable with, especially after what happened this week with Hannibal Burris and all that. Wait, can you, I don't know about all this. Bill Cosby is a rapist, probably. Yeah. Which yeah. is another okay. thing we've t- I, we mentioned this on the first episode of the podcast. Tonight. Right. right. Yeah. Somewhere, but that was the oh, first I'd ever heard of that. Somewhere around a dozen women over the last 40 or 50 years have oh accused gosh. him of drugging them and sexually abusing them. And Hannibal Burris uh, had the gall to say, hey, remember when this stuff happened? And then they were like, oh, yeah, he's, been doing, he's been doing like a bit about that fact. Of, oh, wow. Of yeah, we saw him do that bit at uh, the knitting factory back in March. Yeah, and it's like all of a sudden, like, Gawker got a hold of it, and now it's a huge media mm. story, even though it's always been a little bit of a media story for a long time. Mm. It's pretty... Not good, guys. Disgusting, yeah. Don't drug people. Can we talk about Karma's mom? Yes, yeah. Yeah. because we can talk about I Karma's mom. Because I have a lot to say about Karma's mom. <laughs> okay. 
She reminds me of Jughead Gorgeous a little bit. Just, uh, yeah. So, like, she's, I guess, supposed to be the founder of Burning Man. <laughs> yeah. I was, <laughs> that was a little hard to take. Because <laughs> we, we all know that it was, like, this guy got dumped, and then he built an effigy of the guy his girlfriend left him from. That's the exception. Is that true? Oh, if we take know, her okay. story as, as fact, if yeah. we accept her version of events, but it's possible that she was just uh, an unin formed young person who was easily swayed by a romantic concept and in mm. fact you know this guy just took her to burning man yeah and that's possible too or well i just think that in the universe that we're you know this alternate reality of that that's how burning man got started like I, that was just the writers making a joke because they're like uh, now now i'm old enough i have the power and i can write a joke fuck burning man <laughs> <laughs> so she is our image of the accepting mother Right, because she has that whole thing where she's like, and then I got voted most accepting, so this is an even safer environment. And she does, like, the karma, thank you hands, Uh and, and, like, there's that uh, last season on when, like, they're touching everybody's face. Right. It's She's just a very uncomfortable mother image for me. (laughs) Yeah, like... And and it, she doesn't, and it's such a. I think it's supposed to, be, supposed to be like a bitter irony, right? Because her, the one, the one character who we definitely know is not gay has the one with the uh, accepting mom. Well, I think that because that that's a thing I've I've thought about recently because like because now I have friends and friends of friends that are like having kids and stuff, and there's a lot of conversation like how do we raise our children differently than we were raised? And do you, re- do you raise them to be gay? Do you yeah, raise them not like, to be gay? What kind what of toys do? do we give them and all this stuff? And, and a lot of times like people are just like, well, I'm just going to be totally accepting and open and all that. And I think that's really great. But I also get a feeling that they really want that, like that they might be disappointed that their son or daughter is not gay or gay is parents? not oh, a theater or person in, or, in, you know or, or special like, or extraordinary yeah. in some way. Yeah. Like that they, like it seems like she's really excited by the, like, I've her. got a the gay daughter, like yeah, how, yeah. right. And I and like I, I'm I don't know. It's just like a thing I think might happen in in real yeah. life where people are like, oh, you're you're not whatever the thing that I would yeah. be happy to be accepting of. And they're like, well, no, I like sports. Yeah. And they're like, but you don't have to. You can you can take art class if you want. And they're like, no, it's it's fine. Like Rachel, you look like you're gonna say something. Yeah. There was this amazing article on either Clickhole or The Onion. It was an editorial saying, I'm not saying I hope my child is transgender, but if they are, I will knock it out of the park. (laughs) (laughs) That is exactly the attitude that I think is. Yeah. 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 Oh God. It's like the, there's something about that too, where it's, you're so excited for your kid to be a certain way so that you get to be exceptional, you know? And this show has this sort of attitude toward the characters where they're like, Hey, our show has gay characters. It has intersex characters. It has, there's an abstinent character. There might like, be a black character if you keep watching. <laughs> it's, they're not actually interested in depicting human right. beings or real oh, life. Right. It's or, super cynical. And, you know, yeah. fine, it's a fantasy or whatever. But, you know, they are creating a situation where these people are only emblems of the thing mm. that can be commodified. Well, it's they're doing – meanwhile, they have – yeah, they have the cast, right? They have the, the perfect cast that does all the diversity check marks. But meanwhile, they're doing the exact same – bullshit offensive narrative uh things that like the fucking crying game did that we were criticizing the crying game for then and we're criticizing for it now like using these using people's uh identities or aspects of themselves as punchlines or as Mm. moments of thrill you know and it's same things happening on american horror story too it's the same and it's fine if there's an element of suspense to people's lives because you know a lot of nuclear cinema in the 90s was about you know like people's lives are in jeopardy because you're on a journey with the character right but the thing is that once that thing becomes okay yes it stands in a a certain way as a plot element and then after that it's an aspect of character right Mm -hmm. but that never happens here yeah well and i think there were a lot of people that like you know would come out as bi in high school and you're like, oh, you're doing that for attention. Yeah. And like, oh my I, God. I think that's like, I think that's like definitely an accepted mm-hmm. thing or not thing, no, I but mean, it's like a trope yeah. that happens all the time. But like, this was just like, what if that was an entire series? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, cause you were, you were talking about, you didn't remember. Well, I also wonder about who's writing it because I'm, I feel like there are probably people around our age that saw this for real and were just like, fuck this shit. 
because and you were talking about like oh there's there's no one that beautiful in my high school but it ironically there was like the hottest girl in our high school that was just like center of everything then it also started getting out that at you know these out teen alcohol parties of which i could only have heard legends of (laughs) um drinking natty light yeah um she would like started making out with other girls and that just like you know she went from like the legend from like 17 points ahead in the polls to like (laughs) you know what i mean like it became so i i do wonder if there were like people writing the show or pitching it were kind of like what if yeah like now it's 20 years after that or 10 year i don't know how i think it's am, the opposite but. direction i think what it is is that these people are participating in a culture that creates situations for young people where, where they have people to do are, that are like i my identity i'm not so sure about but what i know i need is to find a way to be loved right you know it's a and, very shiny girls gone wild yeah it uh, was yeah. like you know and i was girls actually, gone wild is some kind of a torture chamber oh yes does what he even it, exist anymore? No, because he's in... Because now that he's in college, kids, yeah. I think. Yeah. They, they, thank God they yeah. put him in jail. Fucking asshole. But they just... But but that's a whole... I mean, that's a whole genre now where, like, you have, like, an orgy in your dorm room and then send it to a website and then you get, like, $10,000 if they think it's sexy so enough. Bleak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's DIY, man. They're, like, yeah. they're behind the camera. They're in front of it. They're... <laughs> squirting they're all over it the yeah, they're inside the camera the camera's inside them <laughs> there's a lot of stuff they're getting to on. know filmmaking intimately <laughs> well but because of the commodification of the image the right. camera yeah. is always inside of you uh, yes it's been inside us all along that should be a reveal that should be a reveal on faking it anyway i want to wrap up actually because we're going a little long and i want to know if people wanted to plug stuff because that's a thing people do with podcasts what about you rachel do you have anything to plug uh, the most exciting thing I have to plug is actually tomorrow, and so I assume this will not be out by then. Oh, it's going up tonight. That's going up tonight. Oh, it is okay. Now. <laughs> well, if you are listening to this on Monday, then I am going to be in 100 Proof Comedy tonight, 8 p.m. Comedy Sports Chicago. It is ten dollars, and it's going to be awesome. Nice. What about you, Eric? No, what? Well, sh- or Sam? Oh, we can go in order. Yeah. I am. Not a professional. I have nothing to plug. It's cool. Awesome. We'll, we'll <laughs> no, I've got nothing to plug. Yeah. Well, I'll be sure yeah. to check that out. <laughs> I, I'm still in a book that's now available for purchase on Amazon. They haven't, they haven't deleted you from the book. Yeah, I haven't been. I haven't. I'm. I'm still in the dictator, guys. Um, <laughs> that's a Jason Manzi. Yeah. <laughs> still uh, the dictator. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there's a book called How to Write About Contemporary Art that I'm cited in as a good example. And Ooh. now it's on, on Amazon. So um, you can make some money for the person that wrote it. Cool. Oh, and you have a new podcast. Oh, geez. Oh. Yeah, I have a new podcast called I Don't Hate This with my colleague Nina Litoff. I, Litoff, that I can't pronounce her last name for some reason. Um, it's a podcast about art, and um, it's funny. Yeah. And you can find the uh, I Don't Hate This Twitter. And, at uh, at I, I Don't Hate This. this. And uh, we're on SoundCloud as, at uh, I Don't Hate This. <laughs> and our Tumblr is called I Don't Hate This Pod. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I'm so glad that we were all here to talk about this. Thank you so much for listening to Noisy Ghost. <laughs>